podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Better than your average Premier League referee. That doesn't really tell me much. It's a low bar, but I'm It is a very low fucking bar. <laughs> um, Carl, I'm tell like... me how it is that a man who was stood down after... The, our referees this this season, the, the chap that refereed the Chelsea game is from Manchester and shouldn't be allowed to referee our games. The chap that refereed the second game was in school yesterday and he shouldn't be let out of his house without his parents. At the weekend, we got a completely incompetent referee. And this coming weekend, we're getting a referee who was stood down last weekend after the shambolic decision he made in the Manchester United versus Wolves game. How is it that the referees in this league are so poor when it claims to be the best league in the world? How can we not find better referees? Well, first of all, I'll say that out of all of those, the one I have the least problem with is, um, uh, let's say, the one you referred to as a schoolboy, because that is at least a new face, and you have to have new faces if the old faces are not doing their job. So that is one thing I would say. I, I suppose we have to accept that when they come into the Premier League for the very first times, they're not necessarily going to be perfect, but we hope that they will be better. Um, the rest of the selections are as uninspiring as they are repetitive. And goodness me, it is. Yeah. We seem to have got to a point where I don't know if this is everybody or just me, to be honest, but like, let's say 10 years ago, 15 years ago, there were like a couple of referees you could name because they were either, you know, Howard Webbish in terms of putting themselves front and center or Uriah Rennie-ish in terms of being so bad at everything that you knew who they were. But now we know who kind of all of them are. They sort of have a higher profile. I'm not sure if it's because of VAR. I'm not sure if it's because there is so much discussion about them now after the matches. I'm not sure if it's just because I suddenly pay more attention. Like I say, this could be just a me thing rather than a football-wide thing. Um, But it does appear that we have a litany of mistakes and individual errors that you can attribute to not just a ref, but also the referee's team. And then they get stood down and oh, it just goes on and on. And it's, it is dull, but it's more frustrating because as I said on, on raw the other day, more rules keep getting put in place, which are supposed to try and help them make the game better, make the game longer, quicker, whatever it is. But actually all it does is make them make more decisions. And if they're not making good decisions in the first place, and then we ask them to make more decisions, I don't see how that makes things better. Yeah, I think this is very fair. They're introducing rules into the game. And 
if they were applied every single time they need to be applied, we'd be finishing games with eight men. You know, if they were booking somebody every time they'd kick the ball away, there'd be 11 yellow cards in every game. If they were booking players because they're the third one to approach a referee from the same team after an incident, we'd be booking two and three players every single game. It makes very little sense why they continue to add these smaller rules when they can't get the big rules of the game correct. The entire refereeing system in England and and abroad, like it's not just an English issue. The referees are god awful wherever you go. But in the Premier League, they have a they have an opportunity because they've got the money behind them to completely overhaul the system. And they refuse to do it. And, you know, it, it, a lot of it is is the failures of the VAR system so far. And we heard from Mike Dean, who, if you look out your window, he's probably walking around with a shovel looking for a new hole to dig somewhere. What he basically exposed was that the VARs look after their mates. And they don't do things to embarrass their mates. And it's part of why they send them to the screen rather than just overruling them when they're clearly wrong. And it's something I've highlighted before. The VARs should not be referees. They should be specific people hired just to be VAR. And they should be trained just to be VAR. And they should have no connection to the referees. They should never really meet the referees. There should be no influence by the referee over the VAR because otherwise you can't make the system work properly. And I've said before as well, if we want to start recruiting referees, go and recruit people that love football. Go and recruit people that have played football. Go and recruit them when they get turfed out of academies at 21 because they don't make the grade. Go and recruit them then because some of them will drop down the leagues but some of them will just disappear from football. And there's pathways here we could open up for people where they can stay involved in the game, they can earn a very good living, and they can actually be of help to the game because the current crop of referees just aren't getting the job done. Can I ask, when you say that we should be hiring people with specific regard to being a VAR personnel rather than a referee who's on VAR duty... Yes. Can, can someone fucking explain to me the process of putting, in my opinion, the worst referee from the Premier League over the last decade or so, Lee Mason, into the VAR role because he was not good enough as a referee and made so yeah. many errors. So took him off the pitch, put him into this specific VAR position, still bad at that and made enough errors to be sacked. I know they call it mutual termination earlier this year, but he was sacked. He was removed from his role. And then hire him back to yeah. train people to do the job he was sacked from. Yeah. The this job summer. he wasn't good enough for, he is now <laughs> teaching other people to do. This is basically the equivalent of somebody failing their A-level English test and then being hired the next week to be the English teacher or whatever subject you want it to be. He is clearly not good enough at this role to do it himself. 
So why on earth is he the one telling other people? Maybe I was, I actually, as you were talking there, I was wondering, maybe he's not teaching them how to be VAR. Maybe what Lee Mason is doing is he's giving a class and as the students walk out, there's just somebody there with a clipboard saying, now, everything you've heard in that room, do the exact opposite. Do you understand what I'm telling you? And they say, yes. And they say, right, that's you trained. And they go along. And maybe that's how he's doing it. Maybe this is the point. Lee Mason is doing the what not to do class because nothing else would make sense. He was appalling as a referee. He was even worse as a VAR somehow. And as you said, he was fired. Like it, he, Mutual termination is just something that's said in football that everybody knows is a lie. There's very, very few mutual terminations. People either quit or they're fired. That's it. Managers either quit or they're fired. Mutual termination is a nonsense. That's basically where they come to an agreement on how they're going to pay them out the rest of their contract. And that's basically what's happened with Lee Mason. He's been fired. He had time to run his contract. They've agreed terms on his dismissal. And he gets to mark it down as mutual termination because it looks more favorable for him to the unknowing passerby. An absolute nonsense, but we move on. We move, we move. I believe you have a question. We'll just be talking about this again after the match anyway, won't we? Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, Right, before we get into today's actual theme of the podcast, uh, which is obviously right before the transfer window, so we'll be doing transfers. I want to ask you about someone who is going to be dealing with the next transfer window and beyond. Um, so we've been speaking about Liverpool's um, Schmadka situation and so on. And a few people have asked us about you know, other sporting directors and so on. So one is off the table today. And I want to ask you about them. Bayern Munich this morning have officially confirmed their new sporting director, Christoph Freund. Yes. Thoughts? I think this is the best possible hire that Bayern Munich could have made. And if I could have cherry-picked anybody to come in and replace Michael Edwards, who wasn't going to be Michael Edwards, it would have been this guy. I I think he is absolutely elite at what he does. As a talent finder, as somebody who emboldens those around him to really push the limits of, of... what they're doing as someone that puts people in the best possible situation for them to excel at their roles as someone who doesn't deal in bullshit and will get rid of any bad apples. The minute he feels like they're starting to spoil the rest. I think Christoph Freund is, is going to be absolutely central to Bayern becoming it's hard to say becoming a force because obviously they've they've dominated the Bundesliga, but it wouldn't surprise me if over the next 10 years, Bayern win three European Cups with this guy leading, leading the way in terms of recruitment, in terms of structure, in terms of organization, the day-to-day running of the club. I, I think he's absolutely phenomenal. When you look at what he's done with, with Salzburg, I, I think... People will often just overlook it and say, oh, well, you know, it's it's the Austrian league and it's Red Bull Salzburg. Of course, they're winning everything. But 
when you look at the player trading they do and how many players they lose in a season and then how quickly he's able to just re-up and have them operating at full strength again, I I think he's the best around. I really do. And I think people are going to find out. Like The other side of it with him as well is, look how many managers he's had to hire at Red Bull Salzburg. And look how many times they've had to make changes because other bigger clubs have come in and jumped on the manager that they want. Even just this past summer, there was talk that Matthias Yassel was entertaining talks from Al-Ali. So he fired him. He didn't just say, oh, we'll let this play out, and then when they come to us, we'll be able to get a compensation amount. We'll, he, they'll have to buy him out of his contract. He just fired him. And while it's probably cost the club a couple of million, his view on it was, if we get rid of him now, and we move quickly forward, we don't lose any valuable preseason time. He valued that, the preparation, more than an amount of money. Now, obviously, he'll have had to get sign-off from people above him, but that's his move. And he had a new manager in three days later. Because like all great sporting directors, he has working lists for every single role. If the, if one of the physios quits tomorrow, he's probably got a list of the 10 best physios to go and approach and bring in because he's just so well prepared. And everybody you speak to who's ever had dealings with him, they absolutely rave about him. And, you know, there's, there's one or two sporting directors in the Premier League now that I've been lucky enough to have conversations with. And he's someone they always refer to as someone that they look at for how he runs his club and the marginal gains he tries to get for his club. And you're talking about 11, no, was he there? He joined, he was sporting director from 2015. So eight years, eight years with Salzburg and the success that they've had. And before that, he worked his way up through the ranks. He'd been at the club nine years before getting appointed as sporting director and now he's landed one of the five biggest sporting director roles in the world i think it's fully deserved are you that person who has everything the coolest merch and those must-have fan threads well over at our anfield index shop we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your liverpool collection from our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts sweaters hoodies and hats to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy, by searching for Anfield Index. And one we don't have to discuss in the next uh, four days when we no doubt dive headfirst into what on earth are we going to do next. Exactly, exactly. Um, I will be interested to see if his son, Nicholas Freund, who is a highly rated youngster in the Salzburg Academy, suddenly pops up at Bayern. Um, Because, you know, 
why wouldn't he want to go with his dad to one of the biggest clubs in the world? <laughs> but he is he is who we should have been. Like the the day Julian Ward handed in his resignation, this guy should have been should have been hot on the the topic list at Anfield. And and you know, I'm not to say that that I'm full of information, but I have heard that he did get an approach and turned it down because the role was let's just say it was more of a an assistant role than an actual sporting director role. Um so yeah, there you go. Uh right, let's move on. Let's jump on to the Premier League, all twenty teams and what we think they need to do or, or one potential signing I think is better that they that we think they should make between now and fr- uh, was it 11, 11 p.m. on Friday? Is it 11, yeah, 11 p.m.? I think it's 11 p.m. on Friday. Yeah. For some reason, I had it in my head till Monday that it was 11 p.m. on Thursday, and I was getting a little bit panicky about Liverpool's window because obviously, you know, it hasn't hasn't gone great overall. And um, then when I realised it was 11 p.m. on Friday, I, I felt this huge sense of relief as if as if one day was going to make a huge amount of difference to us. But it might. You never know. You never know. I mean, there, uh, there is there is a question to be had on that as well. Why on earth is it Friday, the 1st of September, instead of at the end of the month? But you know, That's the thing. Different thing. Especially different considering thing. players have to be registered by noon on Friday to play yeah. at the weekend. But look, it, this is better, though, than the nonsense where the Premier League's window closed weeks before everybody else's. Yes. Uh, because it, it was season failure. Yeah, because certain managers, I, I believe including our own, had a bit of a cry about, you know, the teams changing after the start of the season. But thankfully that was uh, was binned off. Let's go alphabetically then. So, Carl, Arsenal obviously spent big money this summer bringing in Declan Rice for 105 million, Kai Havertz for 65, and Jurian Timber for around 40. Uh, Timber now out for the season, which is obviously a blow. They're in the process of selling players and loaning players. So Kieran Tierney's gone. Nuno Tavares is gone, uh, both on loan. Uh, Balogun is going to Monaco on a permanent deal. There's been rumblings that Gabrielle could be sold, which I would find strange. Uh, there's rumours that Emil Smith-Rowe would like to leave, which I think would be one of the stupidest decisions the club could possibly make. And I think Albert Sambi Lakonga is also looking for a new home, probably on loan. But if you were Edu and you were talking to Mikel Arteta today, trying to avoid the fact that his head looks like a Lego man, would you be suggesting a signing? And if so, who would that signing be? What do you think they need? Right now, I think a centre-back might be their biggest need. But I do caveat this by saying that that's because Jacob Cuvier has not had enough game time. Or sorry, I, I haven't seen enough game time, rather, of mm. Jacob Cuvier. So if he could come in and play 28, 35 games at a very, very high level, fine. That's probably okay then. Um, if not, I, I do think that they're looking pretty light there because Timber would have been one of the really versatile players they could have switched around right across Tomiyasu and Ben White being similar sorts of players. Um, if you are losing Gabriel, 
because there's a big offer there for him and you're without Timbo, who's a very, very experienced one, then suddenly you're back to Rob Holding as your third. And nobody else really after that, unless you start shuffling around the entire defensive unit. See, I, I'm fully in agreement on, on what you're saying. Like, uh, if if they do sell Gabriel with Timber out, and having just let go two backup left backs, you're now in a situation where you've got Ben White, an injury-prone Tommy Asu, Saliba, who had back problems last year, and they, they can be a concern in a young player. Uh, Kivior, who who has limited experience at the highest level, certainly limited experience with Arsenal. Zinchenko, who's se- seemingly out of form. And I know they're playing Partey at right back. The first time they play a team with a really good left winger, that experiment will come to an end because he will get absolutely rinsed and be sent off within 15 minutes. But I think they'd be just ridiculously out of line to sell Gabriel at this point. Last season, for me, he was their best defender. And I'm I'm not really sure what's gone on that Arteta has decided to do this thing where he's playing Partey at right back and has moved Ben White to right side centre back and thus moved Saliba from right side centre back to left side centre back. I, I really don't understand the logic there because for me... The move for them to make is to play Partey as the six and Declan Rice as an eight because the Havertz experiment is not working. And then play white right back and Zinchenko left back. So if you want a defender that steps into midfield, Zinchenko is the one. And if you want to do the box midfield, Zinchenko can step into what was the Granit Xhaka role, which is now the Kai Havertz role. And I think he'd do a better job of it. And you can still have Rice and Partey as that holding two. So if I was them, I wouldn't I wouldn't bring in a defender. I'd stick with what you have and stick with what worked last year. And then you've got Tommy Asu who can cover right side centre back and right back and left back if needed. And Kivior can cover left side centre back and left back. What I would do if I was them is I would look for a backup to Bakayo Saka, like someone who I can rely on if I'm without Saka for an extended period of time. Because Nicolas Pepe, for whatever reason, Arteta just decided to never really give him an opportunity once he took over. I assume it's because he was sort of the the marquee signing under the, the, the previous manager. But there's a couple of different young right-wingers that I think they could look to bring in. Now, the two I'd look at are actually right-footed, so they're slightly different to Bikayo Saka. But Patrick Vimmer of Wolfsburg is one. Or, and and this might be a little bit of a left-field shout, I really like Crescencio Somerville at Leeds. And he's not in the Leeds first team at the minute. But I think his... His ability as a dribbler replicates a lot of what Saka offers to them. And he likes to make those runs from out to in. He does them in a different way to Saka, obviously. But I'd probably go Vimmer. But I do quite like Somerville. And I'm I'm a little bit surprised nobody's picked him up this summer. 
think end product is a bit of an issue there. But I think for Arsenal specifically, it might be more of a case of they have quite a lot of players in that sort of not in the age group for Arsenal who are younger than the first teamers, but not actually really young anymore. And until they decide what they're going to do with all of those, especially in particular, I would say Smith Rowe, who you already mentioned, Fabio mm. Vieira, and Reese Nelson, who after signing his new contract and tying himself to Arsenal for longer, has not been in a single squad this season. Well, I think he's been named in, sorry, a couple of squads, but has not played a single minute this season. Um, I, I don't, I don't know that there's huge value in a player of that sort of age and style going to Arsenal. Not for Arsenal, for the player himself. I mean, oh, um, I agree. When, but we we see he, a lot of players that make moves that don't really make sense for them. What are you talking about, Romeo? <laughs> <laughs> just most Chelsea signings. Uh, David like Washington, Rowe, like you just said, yeah, he's he's played three minutes this season. That's yeah. in four games, three minutes. But my Maybe. assumption is that Arteta doesn't fancy him, so that's, he must be pushing for a move, though, right? So it's Smith Rowe who must be pushing for the move because he barely uh, featured last season. I I don't really know. Like, I think he probably is pushing for the move, but I also think Arteta is happy for him to leave. And I would love us to be the type of club smart enough to go. You know what? Let's go and get him because he's exceptionally talented. And we, while we might have players who can play as a left winger and a right winger, the only actual players we have who are good enough to play consistently as a left or right winger for us are Mo and Diaz because Jota, Gakbo and Darwin are all much better through the middle. Darwin and Jota don't have the technical ability to play wide, and Gakbo doesn't have the pace to play wide. But Smith Rowe could do that job for us. And if he was to live up to his potential, him on the right side of a 4 2 3 1, with Dominic as the 10 and Diaz on the left, him playing a narrow right side, that's something I think could be very, very special. So I'd love us to go and get Emil Smith Rowe if Arsenal are stupid enough to sell him. And considering there's rumours that they were open to selling, they're open to selling him and they were open to selling Balogun to Chelsea, I don't see why they wouldn't sell them to us. We're not, there's, there's not the, the distaste between the clubs with Liverpool and Arsenal as there is between Arsenal and Chelsea. But Edu seems like he'll sell anybody to anybody. I mean, they sell players to United over the years. So why wouldn't they sell them to us? Um but that, that that's only that's the only reason I'd look at a winger is I just don't think he wants to give Smith Rowe his opportunities, which just seems like such a bizarre decision to me. Um, we'll move on to Aston Villa, managed by your favorite manager in the entire world ever, Unai Emery. Uh, they've had a pretty good summer, but what would you look to do if you were the Aston Villa manager? Turn back time and not spend 30 million quid on Pau Torres. Do you not like Pau Torres? Not that much, no. I, I think he's all right, million. but I think that's... Well, 30 million is not bad value for him. I, I don't know. I, th- I don't think so. I, I think Pau, you still live in 2016. <laughs> you haven't realised that transfer fees Marcia. are very different now. No, 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 look, I, I think Pau Torres is okay. I think he's overrated. I think he was about the best of the Spanish centre-backs that were coming up behind... Piquen Ramos for a few years, other than Inigo Martinez, but 
I don't actually think he's developed that much considering he's now 26. I don't think he's anywhere near as good as he could have been or people thought he was going to be. I don't think he's like a, you know, a Champions League contending level defender or anything like that. And I don't know that they take huge steps forward by playing, let's say, him and Carlos over Conza and whoever else they could have had. I quite like the back three they played at the weekend with Conza as the right side and Torres as the left side and Carlos sort of as that that one in the middle who goes to try and win absolutely everything, whether he can get there or not. Because I do think it kind of covers for some of the weaknesses that each of them has individually. Um, I, I do think they need cover at the back, though, because as things stand with Mings out for the year, mm. the only backup centre-back they have, to my knowledge, is Callum Chambers. Now, I know Den Donker can play there, but, you know, less than ideal. Was still there. I mean, he's a championship player on a good day. Let alone the bad days he tends to have nine times out of ten. I, I would absolutely be in the market for a centre-back if I was Villa. Someone just reliable who can come in. They do, they do not need Nat Phillips. The, the last thing they need is Nat Phillips. That, that's a guy um, in the background there for the number well, yes. people who are not on this call with us. Um, um, I, I assume they would just drop Kamara back there, to be honest, if they needed an extra one. Yeah, they could. They could, but I, I'd still rather have a good backup centre-back and not have to hugely weaken my midfield if I have an injury at centre-back. You know, it's the same thing when, you know, we used to take Fabinho, when we took Fabinho out of midfield and put him yeah. at centre-back, which was great because he was great at centre-back. But the problem was that Jordan Henderson was then playing as your number six or Thiago was playing as your number six and your midfield was a clusterfuck. Um, yeah, I mean, I quite like what they've put together now in midfield. Um, I know you're not a, a big John McGinn fan, but I think for no. the role that they've shoehorned him into from that sort of left of the four most of the time is um, fine. For, for what they get out of him. I think Zaniolo is an, intri- an intriguing one if they can keep him fit, obviously. That's always the big question now. Mm. And Tielemans just appears to be like the last 20 minutes centre mid at this, at this point of the season. Go and um, run as much as you can in 20 minutes rather than run really slowly for 90. It's yes. a good, it's a, I think it's a good decision. Not a bad trade-off, to be honest, yeah. Um, I mean, Luis and Kamara as a two is pretty good. Really like, good, really good yeah. ball-winning, really good uh, short short range of possession retention, uh, decent energy and mobility and all the rest of it. Quite good aerially between the two of them as well. Uh, so no no problems either positionally or technically from those two. And when you get Ramsey back as one of the side players, let's say, I think suddenly that becomes quite a different um, midfield problem for, for teams to deal with. If you consider, let's say it's him and Bailey or him and Zaniolo down the line, I think that's really attack-minded, so attack-minded I don't actually think we'll see it. <laughs> because it's Unai Emery. <laughs> exactly so. Um, yeah, I, I was... I, 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 my assumption is that when when Ramsey comes back, either McGinn goes back to playing on the right, or McGinn drops out of the team. Um, but there's a lot of talent there, and obviously Diaby has taken to the Premier League very, very well. Because he's playing looked, through the middle, which yeah. is where he should have been for so long. 
that's the thing. And he and he just looks dynamite playing off Ollie Watkins. Um it like you said with Zaniolo, if he can if he can stay fit, he could be incredible for them because he's immensely talented. And if you can have him on the right and Ramsey on the left with Diaby off Watkins, the two midfielders that you mentioned, who I, th- I think are a really good partnership. I-, I think that's a really good front six. Um, and I wouldn't really want to prick about with it. I mean, they've got decent enough depth in, in Duran. And if McGinn drops into a depth role and they've got Tielemans and they've got Dendonker and they've got Bailey. And the, I think Bertrand Traore is still there. So, you know, there's there's a lot of good options there for them. I, I think they've made, I think they've made a mistake in selling the younger Ramsey to Burnley. I know they've kept a buyback clause, but I'd much rather just have had the player. Um, the same goes for Cameron Archer. I, I, they're two absolute stars in the making for me. I think they're both hugely, hugely talented. I don't like those moves, but Emery obviously society doesn't want to to put faith in the younger players. Uh, guys ask, do they have a backup right back? And the answer is Callum Chambers or no. Um, so yeah, a backup right back would also help somebody that could maybe give cash real competition then that side, because they did lose Ash- uh, Ashley Young. They've got a couple of left backs. Bizarrely, they've been linked with another left back in Mar- in, in Acuna. Though I'm not sure he's better than the two they have now, so I don't really understand why they would have done that. Um, the other thing they could do with is a is a better backup goalkeeper than Robin Olsen, who's just you know not very good. But yeah, for Villa it is it's mostly depth. They they're starting eleven. I think they have it in place. Whether it's the eleven starting at the minute or not, it remains to be seen. But I I do think that it's just a matter of depth for them. Um. And the same with Arsenal, it's depth. They don't need more first-team starters. They have those. It's it's about depth and, and quality depth. Uh, moving on to Bournemouth, Carl, who I think have, very, have had a very good summer. I really like the Adams signing. I love the Alex Scott signing. We've talked about um, Max Ahrens and, and the impact he can have there. They got Kirkes, really good left-back. I think the thing they need is a different type of striker to Dominic Solanke. And they're being linked at the moment with Pats and Daka. And if they could get Pats and Daka in and use him as a poacher, which is what he was at Salzburg when he was plundering goals with reckless abandon, I I wonder if Pats and Daka can show the player people thought he was going to be at Salzburg. I don't think he'll ever be as good as people thought he was going to be because I think he's quite limited in what he can do in terms of build-up. But just in terms of speed, movement and finishing ability, I do think there's a player there and I would like to see him as the alternative to Solanke, who can also play with Solanke if they want to play two up front. Yeah, I think Patson Dak is one of those types of strikers who benefits from two up front, if I'm being honest. I think if he played off of Solanke, you get a lot more out of him than if he was just starting every game as one with the three behind. Because those three that they tend to play behind, regardless of who the three are, are very, very much about build up and playing off someone and lots of movement and really good, you know, one touch uh, exchanges, rotation of positions, all of that. So 
I don't think that he is the type of striker who would thrive if he was an every match starter by himself, but 100% agree that if he was with Solanke, as you know, even if Solanke becomes their 10 as such and he plays just a little yeah. bit higher up as a second forward, basically, then yeah, yeah I could see Dakar thriving. Um, because there is a lot of creativity, but the problem is obviously then you're limiting the number of the um, the second line players that you can pick, and they do have a herd of them. They um, do, they have a lot. There might, there, might, there might also not be a bigger disparity in alternative strikers between Pats and Dacca and Kiefer Moore in England. That's a very fair point. Kiefer Moore, who's good at one thing and one thing only, and that's being an enormous shithouse. Um, but like Kiefer Moore should only ever be your, you know, in case of emergency, break glass type of guy yeah. at the yeah, Premier absolutely. League level. Battering. And I, you, the thing you mentioned there with, with Solanke playing that little bit deeper, I think that would suit Dom. Yeah, I do. I, I, I think he's be, more yeah, of a link I kind of hold a massive player. role in this team. Yeah, his movement and the way he can drop deep and his hold up and his one touch link play that those are all really big reasons why he's such an important player for Bournemouth. I mean, he's not. He's never going to be like a, a, an 18 goals in the season Premier League kind of forward, but he allows... But he could be, he could be 10 and 10, more. couldn't he? Oh, definitely, definitely. He could be he, 10 I mean, goals, 10 assists. probably already close to you know a 10 in terms of how many chances he creates that they could finish. And now with better players in place, you know, you're mm. only, what, a year and a half down the line from it still being, or oh, two years from, what, Fraser and... I can't even remember who they played on the other side. Uh, the one who went to... But it doesn't matter anyway. They've got much the little fella. Yeah, the, the, like, he's the, a very, very good link forward. He's, he's excellent in terms of being able to turn with the ball and play in somebody else and then attack from the second line. Um, I mean, we saw lots of times he gets into really good areas, but obviously the finishing is ultimately what lets him down. And that was a, as a, a very much younger player. He's nearly 200 games into his Bournemouth career now. He's a much more rounded forward and he does play a really important role for them. He's yeah, facility. I agree. I do fully agree. Uh, Ryan Fraser, is that who we're thinking of? Fraser was the first one I said, yeah. And then I just couldn't remember the other one. Um, that doesn't matter. Anyway, Jordan I was there as well, but that's not the one I was thinking of. Just as an aside, what is Jordan Ive doing with his time these days? Uh, he is not with a club and has not been with a club since a failed spell at Spore, where he signed a three-and-a-half-year contract in January of 2022 and left after six months, having not made an appearance. So he hasn't kicked a ball in the last year, and he didn't play actually there, so he didn't kick a ball there. Uh, at Derby, he was there for a year and a half, played once. So he's played, he's played five games... Since the end of the eighteen nineteen season, Jordan Ibe. Five games. In the, 18, the end of the eighteen nineteen season, Jordan Ibe was 23 years of age. Because he's a December uh, birthday. He was 23. And he's played five games since, since then. Right, let's move on. Uh, Brentford, Carl, the need for a number nine is, is screaming from... The borough of London closest to you, I believe, uh, unless or you've moved, so maybe not anymore. Um, I, I, I really like this Brentford team. I think there's really good players in it, but without Ivan Tony for the next four months, and my assumption is Ivan Tony doesn't play for the club again. 
I think he'll leave in January. I think they're screaming out for number nine. Victor Jokerez of Coventry, who went to Sporting, was one I thought they'd go for, and they didn't. I thought they could potentially go for Joel Perot of Swansea, and they didn't, and he went to Leeds. They've been linked to Nico Gonzalez, but he's a winger. He's not a nine. I I I think they need an Ivan Tony replacement. Um, I think they do. I know they're going to be a little bit reluctant to one spend before he's gone, and two to bring in a first teamer before he's gone, just in case you know that deal falls through or whatever happens. And they have spent money and and you know positions in the squad on second forwards, wider forwards, and between. I mean, we're still kind of waiting to see a little bit of how good for them Kevin Shadow can be. That's that's part of the issue, I think, here. Um, because at the minute with Mbumo, Shada and Wissa basically as your three who are covering the minutes of the attack, let's say, you're still not getting anything out of Mikkel Damsgaard, which would make a difference if he was going to be a player. Um, again, money spent there quite significantly. We're still waiting to see how much... Faith, trust, uh, ability on show from Keenlos Potter. Mm. Um, so until I think they have a little bit more clarity, I think it's difficult for them to sign a very expensive, very guaranteed starting central striker. Because so, guys just popped in the chat there. Mike McGrath, the Telegraph, is reporting today that they're working on a deal for Hugo Ekatiki. I wonder if they might do a, a loan with an yeah, obligation. Like- buy or something would that that would probably make sense for everybody a loan option to buy is the absolute right call for them to make and see how he does because the talent there is is incredible he's a supremely gifted young footballer but the psg move was the wrong move for him and he's basically lost last season from his career but if they could get him in and an affordable uh, an affordable option where they have him on loan for the year and it's a prove it type alone. You prove you're good enough, and then we'll make it. We'll make it permanent. I think that would work very, very well for them. And you know, if they could have him and Shade and and Lewis Potter potentially as a you know long term is a relative phrase, but you know a long term front three that they could say right this year, Wissen and Bomo will undeniably be starters. But our hope here is that Mbomo has a really good season and we sell him at a big profit. And then we've got these three who become our next, you know, our next front line. Um, that could be a great deal for them. Would you do, what else would you look at if you were, if you were making some decisions at Brent, Brentford? Um, probably I would still look at a central midfielder if they could get one with just a higher level of quality, but of the similar sort of type that they already have. I mean, mm. if you can bring in one, you know, if you bring in a fourth starter for the three positions, you've got Jensen, Janelt, Norgard, and the new guy, and then you've got Josh De Silva as as an additional one, and then you can just stop playing Shandon Baptiste at all. That would be a good thing. And you'd have Onyeka, um, who's decent. Onyeka's okay, yeah, as a, as a sort of wrecking ball when you need him and so on. But mm. if you could bring in someone with a Jensen, Janelt level of technical quality, with the possibility to get better, maybe, you know, if they were a 23, 24 year old, I think that that's like a nice addition without being too disruptive. But yeah. honestly, I, I quite like the, the structure of the midfield. I just think it, it lacks 
just brilliance, basically. And you know, yeah. as I said before, I think it would be very, very helpful to them if Damsgaard was was you know able to remember how to be a footballer. Whether they play him wide or centrally, then is you know dependent on how the structure of the team progresses. But if he is nothing, that's a lot of money wasted on him, and mm. you know, absolutely no return so far. Like so far, nothing. Nothing back for that money. No, I agree. I, I would like to see him played in, in one of those midfield roles. I think if you played him with two of the three you mentioned and gave him that bit more freedom to get forward and join a front three, I I, I would hope he would, like you said, remember how to be a footballer. And, and remember that he's actually a very good footballer. Like he's not just a decent player. He's very, very good when he's at it and on it. But he, he does seem to have lost his way a little bit, which is a bit of a surprise because that is a club with a manager who's generally very good at eking every little last bit out of all of his players. So that might just be a thing that Damsgaard himself needs to work on. Uh, let's go to Brighton, who once again just continue to be a cheat code in the transfer market. They get Joe Pedro, they get Mo Dehoud on a free... Um, They've got the the young midfielder coming from Leon. They bought Igor. The the thing that screams at me here, Carl, is right back because James Milner is not a Premier League caliber footballer, and Veltman is is solid. But I thought last season we saw some signs of physical decline, and I think if you want a Veltman type, who's that? You know, he's a centre back, but he's playing right back because he's comfortable on the ball, but he can shift into a back three as a stupid and bombs forward. It's one of the reasons that um, the Zerbi wants that left-footed centre-back because it gives him better balance then. The player I would go for who can come in, be developed, fits every criteria for Brighton and is in that same Veltman mould but doesn't necessarily need to be an every-game starter straight away, I'd go for Ronnie Edwards of Peterborough who I think fits what they need perfectly. Detail him for us. Six-foot centre-back, very, very comfortable on the ball, can play as a holding midfielder. He's been at Peterborough's whole career, 21 years of age, 20 years of age. I think he's 21 now. No, I think he's 20 now. Hang on. He's 2003 born, isn't he? 2003 born, yeah. He was 20 earlier this year. Sorry, he came through at Barnet, not at Peterborough. Uh, he came through the Barnet Academy. Peterborough snatched him up in 2020. I spoke to their owner a couple of years ago on Mo Chatra's podcast. And off air, when we weren't recording, I asked him about Edwards. And he said, this guy is going to be our club record sale and it won't even be close. He'll blow the Ivan Tony fee out of the water. Wolves approached him about him two years ago and were quoted 15 million and balked at that. Last year when they were in the... Sorry, that was the year they were in the championship. Last year when they were in League One, there was talk that they were looking for about 10 million. I wonder if at the moment they take, you know, seven to eight because reports are they're in a little bit of financial bother over a weird kind of... weird situation with their ownership where one of the part owners is that there's something going on with them. I think he is the ideal fit for them. And the thing is, he's one of those players that just naturally has leadership. 
He's an organiser. He's a talker. He was 18 years of age playing in the middle of their defence and barking at senior pros and telling them where to go and what to do. I, I think he would fit. I think he's got the right type of personality as well. And I think he's the type of player that could develop into a Ben White type of ball playing centre back, but can also play that right back role really well. And he's the one I'd go for if I was them. Where are they with Igor's fitness? Because he hasn't obviously hasn't played, played yet, but he has been on the bench available. The Tarek Lamptey, I know that they're, they're just trying to make him as fit as possible, basically after the international break. So he's already playing, but he's with the 21s at the minute mm. and just training and getting as much time in because obviously he spent part of last season out injured and they're just trying to basically build him up as much as possible for when they're obviously in Europe, three games a week. He just wants him available all the time. So I know that that side of it's fine, like depth-wise, but Igor, quite big money for them in terms of a, a, yeah. a centre-back signing. But also... More notably, I think, the age. Signing him at 25 is a player to play now, not one of the ones who are going to be, you know, taking the place of someone who sold afterwards. Yeah, that's the thing. He's he's very clearly a player they bought to, to make an immediate impact. Um, a little bit reminiscent of when they bought a Stupin and last year was a player that could come in and just immediately have the right impact for them. And I think the hope is that once Igor is fit and, and up to speed, he'll just slot in straight away. And look, the, the way uh, Adam Webster has started the season, they desperately need him to get up to speed and be ready very, very, very quickly. Um, the last I saw, they're they're hoping he's fully fit and ready to go after the international break. But it wouldn't surprise me if he starts this coming weekend because Adam Webster had about as bad a game as it's possible to have against West Ham. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. So other than an additional one, as, as you've mentioned there, who can play the centrally midfield defence, I would say left-back is the quite important role they need someone in for. Mm, a backup to, to Purvis. Yeah, yeah. Purvis' opinion is obviously ludicrously important for them in terms of outlet, build-up play, final third delivery, all the rest of it. Um, they don't really have anyone else. So whether they're presuming Tarek Lamptey, because he's obviously a much more attack-minded fullback than, for example, Veltman, who you're just speaking about. So whether he's going to cover left-back or they tilt and he plays right-back when Estepinian's not and someone more defensive-minded plays left. Not really sure what, what the idea is there, but at the minute they don't have anybody natural to come in. Let's put it that way. No. 
So no, I was disappointed it. to see them give up on on young Karbanek, the young Polish left back. He had a, a couple of loans. I thought he was quite good at Fortuna Dusseldorf on loan, and they made a decision to sell him in the summer to Hertha Berlin. Um, the one they've been linked with is Valentin Barco, the young left back at Boca Juniors. He's the he's the only left back I've seen them linked with. Now maybe there's been there's been one or two others. Um, but Valentin Barco, they have been linked with. If I could suggest a left back that I think they could look at as a good squad player, I quite like Harry Pickering at at Blackburn. Uh, I, I I wanted us to sign him when he went to Blackburn from Crew. I thought he would have been a really good backup to Robertson, as uh, that Robertson type of style, which I think would fit well into how they use a Stupinen. So if I could suggest a left back to them, it, it would be Harry Pickering. I thought actually someone like um, Tierney would have been a decent addition for them. Yeah, someone who he can be, play everywhere. He can play everywhere. He can also play multiple systems, which you know, Deserby likes people to be very, very versatile and able to switch mm. whenever they want. But also, it would bring—I don't want to say credibility because it sounds really dismissive of what Brighton are doing—but to be able to bring in a player from quite a significantly historically bigger team who was yeah. more or less at the peak of his powers, who was still playing a role in the team, it really would highlight where they are as a club mm-hmm. and how far they've come. Um, but you know, he's, he's obviously gone now, so there's no no real need to consider it any further. But, but, but um, his profile will be really interesting yeah. for them because if you have, say, if you have Veltman and Tariq Lamptey as your right-backs, that's that kind of defensive one and the attacking one. If you had Tierney and Astupin as your left-backs, that's a defensive one and attacking one. So you could mix and match. In some games, you might want to play Veltman and Tierney, or you, or you go, you know, Veltman and Estupinen. You could go Tierney and Vel, uh, Tierney and and Lamptey to have that that tilt the opposite direction, where Tierney can slot in and be the left side of a back three, and you can just send Lamptey forward the way they send Estupinen forward, give you back three option as well. That's actually a really good call. Kieran Tierney's a very, very good player. I don't like how he's been treated at Arsenal at all. I think it's another example of very, very questionable man management from Mikel Arteta. Uh, I hope he does really well at, at, at Real Sociedad. I really do hope he does really well there. The other one player I've always liked. Yeah, the other one they could still go for, but which would be, I think, difficult now because Man United's room for him is to bring back Marco Correja. Yeah. And I do think that at the minute, coming back to Brighton, he'd be the backup now. No question about that. Mm. Um, so whether he would even want to do that, possibly not, but it would have been an interesting one to explore at least. When when they were doing the Caicedo deal, I thought they should have looked to get Ian Matson, who I think would be the perfect backup for, for Stupin and like stylistically elite level ability. And I, my assumption is a stupid and will leave next summer because I think they'll get a big offer for him. You'd already have your ready-made replacement for him. Um, it will be interesting to see. Like they're, I think they're trying to push through at least one more deal. And I think the the manager spoke about wanting another attacker. So be interested to see if they do that because obviously they've lost in CISO for a prolonged period of time. And he has spoken of want, wanting one more attacker. They tried to get Mohamed Kudus, and it didn't work out. So I wonder if there's somebody else out there that they have their eye on who who they'll they'll look to bring in. Uh, moving on, 
Burnley. I, I think they need one more in central midfield. I think they need an upgrade of quality in central midfield. Sorry, I thought you were going to finish a sentence there by saying, and in defence and up front. I, I, we're limiting it, limiting it to <laughs> one thing per team. So I thought middle of the park, because if you look at what they've done this summer, like they have brought in a number of attackers and they've brought in some defenders as well, but they haven't really brought in a central midfielder other than Sander Burge. And I'd like to see one more. Now, maybe they look at Aaron Ramsey and think, well, he's going to play in midfield for us, so we're good. And if that's the case, then I would say centre-back should take priority over up front because they've brought in a number of attacking players in this window. I quite like Burnley's build-up play, the shape, um, how they arrange the team, where they look to progress play and so on and so forth. But I just think they're very poor in both penalty boxes. That's my early season early season assessment of where they are. Um, so it's either a case of you believe that defensively partnerships are going to improve, whether it's, I don't know, what do you want to say, like Daro Shea develops a better partnership as he goes on throughout the season. Um, what Hannah Delcroix, I think it's been okay at times, but unless you're going to really put a lot of faith in a couple of people, there's Aldakli and uh, O'Shea playing together game after game after game, and you believe like after 20 matches or so, there'll be a very, very solid partnership. I'm not, I'm not really sure what else you can do, to be perfectly I honest. Think I think the plan is going to be that Jordan Bayer takes that other starting spot. When he's fit, I think he's the one that will slot in there. Because they spent, what, 13 or 14 million to bring him in. He was there on loan, obviously, last season. But my assumption is he's the one they'll look to bring in. He hasn't played yet. Oh, he played in the first game and he got he injured. Played, yeah. Um, so my assumption is that that's the pairing that they're going to look at is O'Shea and him. And then kind of make it work around them. They, they've got some decent fullback options. They've got, they've got a young goalkeeper. That The thing is, it, this is, they've changed a lot in that defensive quarter. Yeah. Like you're looking at a new goalkeeper, a new centre-back in O'Shea and a new defensive midfielder if they're going to use Sander Burge as that defensive midfielder. So if Bayer is the other one, of that that defensive diamond that we often talk about, only Bayer is still there from last year. So it's basically an entirely new setup because the rest of them don't know each other. Um, and you're working with potentially, you know, Vitinho might establish himself as the first choice right back this year. They've brought in... Uh, Delcroix, who can play left-back, and maybe he's going to be using there. Maybe maybe O'Shea plays a bit of left-back. I will be interested to see what way he makes this work because they clearly have a lot of faith in in Vincent Company. They've, they've backed him fairly substantially this summer. You know, you look at Ramsey for 14, Burge for 12, Trafford for 15, um, Downey for 16, Bayer for 13. Like that's a lot of money before you start mm-hmm. taking in the likes of Daryl Shea, Michael Obafemi, Luca uh, Kolowashu, Wilson Odebert, who I think is super talented, and Delacroix. Those fees were you know lower than ten million or undisclosed. They're they're spending a lot of money, 
So they've clearly got faith in this guy, but he's going to have to figure it out because they won't just give him endless rope. Side note of absolutely no importance, but just a curiosity, their three senior goalkeepers are all from Man City or Liverpool. James Trafford, obviously, this summer. Ari Murich was the backup previously at Man City. And Lawrence 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 Figaro was a Liverpool goalkeeper for a couple of years. He was. He won promotion last season with Lincoln, didn't he? Um, Let's move on, Carl, to everybody's favourite topic of fun. Todd Bowley's Circus Chelsea Football Club. Um, I, I, I would have said, going into the window... Chelsea really only need to do three things. They need to get in a ball winner, they need to get in a goal scorer, and they need to get in someone that stops the goals going in the net. Because I knew they had Nkunku coming in. So they signed Nicholas Jackson. He's not really a big-time goal scorer. They signed Angelo Gabriel, a right winger, when they already had a plethora of those. They signed Leslie Ogachukwu, who's a very good young midfielder, but he's not ready to play at the Premier League level. They signed Axel de Sassi, who's a good player, but I would rather have Trevor Chalaba moving forward personally. Uh, then they signed Robert Sanchez, so it looks like he's going to be the starting goalkeeper with Dorde Petrovic as the backup. They did finally land Moises Caicedo. Then they landed Romeo Lavi as well, who decided to just waste his career. And then they brought in another young striker in David Washington. I don't think they're going to do another goalkeeper because I think they're going to pretend that Sanchez and Petrovic is, is what they wanted. So for me, if I'm looking at the squad, the only thing left to do is really go and find a goal scorer. But how do you justify buying a goal scorer, a big a big money striker, when you've already spent the ludicrous sums that they have? I honestly I think it's less about how do you justify the money and where do you go? That's more my question. I mean, what big goal scorer are you gonna get? Other than a Simeon who is gonna cost the entire planet. I don't know who else they can look at now and say Yep, mm. that's the that's the player who fits the profile of what we're doing as a team and gets all the goals. I, I just I don't that's fair. I really struggle to see one out there who fits. Yeah, I mean Vlahovic they were linked to, and then it seemed like they decided they didn't want to do that, whether that was a managerial decision, whether it was down to the cost, I don't know. But it is a very fair point. Like there's there is a shortage of elite level goal scorers out there. And do you, do you risk, like, I think Nicholas Jackson's potentially going to be a very, very good player. And I wonder if you were to bring someone in now and say, right, you're the number nine and, well, you can just go and sit down. Would that completely shoot his confidence and damage his his development it probably would at this stage because he's been the nine he's played really well that's the thing like he's he's actually playing very well for them maybe they're better off trying to have him as that almost like a drug belight and getting their goals in the second line from Nkunku and Sterling and whoever plays the third role I think that's the better way to go in terms of how the team set up is at the minute um the only other thing I can say is like a possible working out scenario is you mentioned Tony to move in January, for example. If you bring in someone like Tony beforehand, who's not as big a name, but you know will fit in a sole frontman kind of uh, setup and tell Jackson, you know, between now and 
January, you're going to lead the line. You're going to do as much as you can for us. We'll be able to then give you a bit of a break in the second half of the season, rebuild you and go again later on in the campaign. You know, sort of prep him for coming out of the team just yeah. for, for his benefit and his continued growth. If it's something like that, I don't know, maybe, but ultimately, I don't know how much rope you can give individual players when you've got so many new ones to sort of also make feel welcome, also make feel wanted, you know. Take into account um, Malagusta, for example, loaned mm. him back so that you can bring him in this summer, bring him in this summer, and he's immediately not playing until the first choice gets injured. Now, do you have to kind of, you know, encourage him to be, you know, this is your opportunity now, or is it more a case of, well, you were only ever going to be a backup and you've just got lucky now kind of thing? So it's it's a real difficult juggling act for Pochettino now to do because there's so many new players here. And I think almost more than their tactical elements, his creating of a group culture is what will make or yeah. break this Chelsea team, as has so often been the case at that club anyway. And it's likely the reason they went for him as well. Um, right, let's move on because we need to start rapidly getting through some of these. Uh, Crystal Palace, Carl. Uh, it looks like Dean Henderson will happen. They're also trying to bring in a right back, potentially another forward player as well. It looks to me like they might be gearing up for a sale and that's all I'll say on that because they didn't have any money to spend two weeks ago. Um, assuming they get Dean Henderson in. Yeah. Right back is the, is the one that screams to me, please buy someone for this role because yeah. Joel Ward and Nat Klein, dogged and determined as they are, they're just not they're just not good enough at this point in their careers. Yes, I think central midfield and right back are the areas specifically that they are most in need of. Although I do also maintain Palace to be any kind of good need another number nine as well. Yeah, I think that's very fair. Um, moving on, Everton. Uh, strange summer. Strange summer. They brought in Dan Juma on a loan, who's, who's obviously a good player. Uh, they signed Chermetti, the young striker, from Sporting. Now they've signed Beto uh, from Udinese. What screams at me with these signings, Carl, is that uh, Tremetti is a six foot four centre forward. Beto is a six foot four centre forward. And they also have Dominic Calvert Lewin, who's, you know, six two, six three, six four, that kind of range centre forward. And none of them really have a proven track record of scoring goals consistently. They're all sort of the same player. So not really sure what's going on then. If I could buy one player for them, though, it would be Hayden Hackney to go into a midfield three with Amadou Onana and Dwight McNeil. Because I, I, if I was Sean Dyche right now, I would be saying, we just need to survive. We're going to go to a back five. Patterson is the right wing back. We're going to play Jack Harrison as the left wing back. It's going to be Godfrey Tarkovsky and Michaelenko as a three. Then I'll have Onana, a midfielder who can run the game for me, and McNeil. And then I'll play one of these giant strikers with Danjuma up front. And that's what I'm going to do. So I would go Hayden Hackney of Middlesbrough. I think he's the ideal midfielder to go in and knit a lot of that together. Be the one who can pick the ball up off the centre-backs and get you playing forward. He's good defensively. He reads the game really well. He's dynamic. 
I think you'd get him for less than 20 million. If I was Everton, that's where I'd be going in the next couple of days. If you are putting up front better and or other trees, are you genuinely going to spend money as Sean Dyche on a knitting midfielder? Well, I need see if I if I have the the three the 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 the, the three big guys, I need some I, I need to be able to get the ball wide to cross it in. And the problem is I have no real way to get the ball wide if I don't have someone in midfield who can take the ball off the defence and then shift it wide. Now, maybe James Garner can perform that role. But James Garner would like to perform that role. Probably would. But Hayden Hackney's a better footballer. That's the player he is. But Hayden Hackney's a better footballer than him. So I'd rather have the better footballer. Um. I mean, this is this looking like such a grind already this season. And even, to be honest, their mm. additions look like a grind to watch. Yes. So I think we know exactly what's coming here. Um, they are going to need so much this season out of McNeil, Harrison and Dan Juma between them. Uh, I don't... I don't honestly know... It's not a case of I don't know why they're persisting like with more pay or whatever, but doesn't obviously fit. They didn't really do very well at all earlier on in the window to bring in someone who could be the player they want to be. I think Mm. now they've kind of had to, had to go for better for the money that they've spent on him, which is a lot for a player who basically will get about eight, nine goals a season. Who who apparently was going for 15 million in July and now they've paid 27 million for him. Yeah. Very, very strange. It's Neil Mope, they need to hope that there's somebody in Saudi Arabia that has a look at Neil Mope and thinks, you know what? That's the guy for us. That's the guy we need. He He's the fella. We bring him in. Because I think he'd go. I think he'd happily keep it. I think everybody would leave Everton if they could. But I think he would go there. Um, and to be fair, I think he'd actually do quite well over there. But it looks like Damari Gray will leave. Um, so, you know, wingers are clearly not a priority for Everton. Um, I mean, he's been playing um, Ghana sort of narrow from the side as you know one of those in from out sort of midfielders, which is not the role that he likes, not the role that he wants to be doing, but at least does give them that knitability. If we can continue to use your your sort of expression and, and utilization of what they want to do with the ball, there it's not coming from the centre backs, obviously, but if it's centre back to right back and you're playing a back four, and then it's into a Ghana on one side and. Someone on the other, Harrison, Harrison, the other mm. side, some of the time. Um, there's there's at least build up there, but then you've not really got the wingerness to deliver to yeah. Beto and the trees in attack. Well, I will say that the uh, the Ashley Young starting left back fiasco needs to come to a very fucking quick end because he is woeful. Fella can't play anymore. He just can't play. Um. And they need to also hope that another nice person in Saudi has a look at Andre Gomes and thinks, well, we need a midfielder. There's a midfielder right there and just takes him away. Don't even ask for a transfer fee. Just get him off your books. He's earning a hundred grand a week. He's never going to play under this manager. Just get him out. Get rid of him. Uh, Everton have a lot to do in the next couple of days. Uh, Moving on, Fulham. Carl, it has to be a number nine. It has to be. You sold Mitrovic. You can't roll into the season with Raul Jimenez and Carlos Vinicius. You just can't. 
<laughs> you can if you're all right with scoring four goals. Yeah, well, yeah, well that, if you want to get relegated, you can. I would have said a right back. They've signed Timothy Castanier. I'm not a huge fan, but he is a right back. Can also play left back, can play in midfield, whatever. I just think they have to go and get a right back now, or uh, get a get a, a striker now. Who that is, I don't know. I'd look at Yusuf and Naziri of Sevilla if I was them, but I think he might end up at West Ham. Yeah, as soon as West Ham won him. Um, but someone in that, of that, it, you know, Beto would have actually fit them better than he fits Everton because Everton, I don't, you can't roll out Beto and Calvert-Lewin as a pair of front. Oh, come on. Calvert-Lewin's only fit for 70 minutes a season. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And, um, and, and I will again bring up the fact that Calvert-Lewin has had one season where he scored goals and pretty much all of them were from inside the six-yard box. Yeah, because he was getting supply, but now they've no way of getting them the supply. They can't build out from the back at all. It's a, it's atrocious. Their centre-backs play the ball into midfield and the ball is coming back at them really rapidly. Idrissa Kanagay is refusing to turn on the ball at all. My Fulham signing is Kelechi in that show. I think he's That's a great show. start. I think he's easily good enough to start for a Premier League team yeah. as their main forward. And I That's think a great shout. Love that shout. Absolutely love that shout. Liverpool Football Club, Carl. It's Czech de Cure for me, and I will not be dissuaded from saying it's Czech de Cure for me. Fine. We need a defensive midfielder. I'm in agreement we need to get one in. We'll have Czech de Cure. Luton Town, one of everything. Are we going through all of them then? We're not going to. We will. We'll, we'll run through them right. all. We're, we're, we're moving at a better. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We're running. This this conversation is taking place without my say so in the thing. We're just running through them. We'll be quick through the rest because right. a lot of these clubs don't have much to do. Right. Luton have too much to do. So that's the opposite yeah. end of the scale. It, so on we go. Exactly. Luton, anything will help. Uh, Manchester City, it looks like Matthias Nunes is going to end up there. And that's basically their last need. They needed one more in midfield. They're going to get him. We don't really need to talk about them, do we? They didn't need one more in midfield. They're just getting one more in midfield. Yeah, well, On we go. On everybody we go. needs one more. Uh, Manchester United are in the process of doing a loan deal for Mark Kukurea, as you mentioned earlier, um, which potentially means they're going to roll out a defence of Wan-Bissaka, Lindelof, the gnome and Mark Kukurea for the next two months while Varane and Luke Shaw are nursing injuries. That is, that's a thing. <laughs> that is a thing. Um, what's the most thing they need? I still I, think the most thing they need is a striker, but let's just let spend 75 million on one. Let's, let's let Rasmus get better and see how he fits into this. The other thing they need is... um... I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. (laughs) This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC 
Mac, and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, magboxes, and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. How do we phrase a this? Goalkeeper, a right back, a centre back, <laughs> a midfielder. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with a different profile of midfielder, one who is more yeah. Christian Eriksen like, but yes. but with much more athleticism to their game. A a sitter and knitter. We're going to keep using knitting all this all this podcast. Do you know who they should buy, Carl? They should buy a Ryan Gravenberch. So that we don't have to. That's who they should sign. They should I do mean, the I was trying to be nice and be good for them. But yeah, can, a set of knitter is what they need. They can do the McTominay for Gravenberg swap and everybody'd be happy. Newcastle United. Um I love the, the additions of, of Livermento and Hall as their long term fullbacks. I, I like their midfield. I think the starting midfield is what it is. You've also got Willock, you've got Longstaff, you've got Elliot Anderson. That's that's a good group. Almiron looks lively again, so you know he he's going to take that right sided role. You've got Gordon and Barnes who can play left side or or right side. They've got their two number nine options. They've got their goalkeeper. I think the only thing they really need to do in the next couple days, if they do anything, and I don't think they will. I think they're done for the summer. I'd look for someone to bring in who can over the next 18 months succeed Fabian Shar and become that starting right side centre-back. Yeah, centre-back's absolutely the priority here. I think that's actually quite a big need for them if they want top four again, to be honest with you. You're not going to get through Champions League and Premier League playing with one of those two starters and then bringing in maybe Jamal LaSalle, who again has his own fitness issues a lot of the time. I can't even think who their fourth choice centre-back is at the minute. Would it be moving Dan Byrne across and playing target? It's 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 probably Dan Byrne. It's almost certainly Dan Byrne. You're not getting top um, four, and you've got target, and you've got Lewis Champions Hall League as your left backs. Yeah, it, you're not getting top four in the no, Champions League if you have to do that. Right, let's move on. Uh, Nottingham Forest. Um, they look to be trying to do about seven different deals this week. They've got uh, Nuno Tavares coming in. I think that might be done. They've brought in Andre Santos from Chelsea. I think that's a really good get. They're bringing in Murillo, the young Brazilian left uh, left side centre back, who I think is excellent. I think they want they're bringing looking to bring in that goalkeeper from Benfica, whose name I can't pronounce. Odysseus is his first name, but his surname is a mystery to me. Um, I quite like the squad. I, ha- I I actually quite like the squad. I have to say, I like the squad. They've brought in. The Argentine hero at right back. Montiel. Maybe another centre back, maybe a right footed centre back. Montiel, yeah, yeah like I, I like yeah, that. Montiel. I like him. I like I like Montiel yeah. a lot. I think he's uh, really good. What would you do for them? What would I do for them? Um, oh, there we go. What? Demarcio's confirming that swap deal. Remo Freuler's going to Bologna and Nico Dominguez is coming to Forest by the looks of things. That's another really nice. good signing. Nice, yeah. Um, I, I don't think that they need loads, to be honest, unless they suddenly want to not just survive relegation, but be like top half. I mean, I think they've got so many players to choose from. The biggest thing, again, is going to be 
narrowing down who has the partnerships to play all the time. The only one thing you would sort of point to and say there's a question mark here is if they lose Brennan Johnson in the last day of the window, they need somebody else to come in and be that kind of mobile, continually linking up, able to get on the score sheet kind of player. Because I think Gibbs White, Taiwo Wani and Elanga as a, a sub one is fine, but you still need that third one there to have the same sort of impact, let's say, going forward. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. If Johnson goes, they will need a forward. Uh, Sheffield United, I will put them in the same boat as Luton, Carl. They need one of everything. Uh, yeah, more than one of everything, personally. Just looking at Forest, have they got all the right-backs in the world? We've listed about three teams. Crystal Palace, get on the phone to Nottingham Forest. They've got Nico Williams, Montiel's in now, Serge Aurier's still there, Biancone's still there, Ola Aina came in in the summer. Surely they can do a deal mm. between them. Come on, let's let's have at least one of these players playing some football because I quite like all of those, apart from Serge Aurier. He can fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> Palace should have signed Ola Aina. It would have been it would have been a sensible deal. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur, Carl. The signing I think they should make, and they might need to wait till January. But it's Ivan Tony. I think Ivan Tony completes this this iteration of Tottenham for this next twelve months. You put him with Kulisewski, Madison, and Son behind. You've got Richarlison, Manor Solomon, um, Brian Hill. You've got good options there. Good options in midfield. Centre-backs a little bit ropey behind the starting two, but it is what it is. They've got good full-backs. I, I would go... The, the Johnson deal, I really like Brennan Johnson, and I could see him as a successor to Son, but they need a number nine, and I think they should be going all out for Ivan Tony. Um, I mean, I think it's absolutely outrageous that you you lastly name Brian Hill and then the next sentence is good options. That's just ridiculous. Come on, let's behave ourselves. Um, Giovanni Lo Celso has been a little bit involved with them again recently, which I think is is quite decent. I think he yeah. could be integrated really nicely by Postacoglu. Um, the fact that the midfield has changed to what it it should have been last year is a really good step forward, especially when you consider Benson Cook coming back. You've got ball winner and progressor there and has actually played through midfield. So I do really like how it's sort of been knit together there. The Richarlison one is a really big problem. He is not playing well. They're not playing to his best strengths. He played last night in the cup and was dismal, even though he scored. It was like a back post header from about a yard out sort of thing. Um, so Ivan Tonio, I agree, makes a lot of sense here. Be you know, an expensive deal to get done. But the bigger expense of that is, I think, again, what what you do with Richarlison, because while he can be backup for each of Madison, Tony and Son in that setup and would therefore get a lot of game time, it's, it's a little bit, bit embarrassing, isn't it? And if he is Brazil's starting centre-forward, he's probably not accepting that either. Um, so there's there's still a decision to be made there as well. I don't think that they need anything in terms of that midfield triangle at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm still not sold on their, on their right-back options, I have to say. Um, we'll see how it develops when there's more understanding and a bit more fluidity about the defensive play. And so, yeah, centre-back maybe would be the only other one that I would suggest somewhere is needed. I Pedro Poro. I think he's a good player. I like Brian Hill. I, I, I know you don't like him, but I do. 
I think as a backup to Kulisewski, he just makes sense. And, and like you said, Lacelso as a backup to Madison's quite good. Um, West Ham United. Uh, for me, it has to be a number nine. It looks like N Naziri is the one that they're they're looking yeah. at. They're also trying to bring in a young striker from Brazil. But I, I do think it has to be a number nine. Uh, I would have liked another another midfielder, but they spent money on Ward Prowse instead. So um, a number nine, I think, completes their window. I think a number nine is a really good thing that they've needed for a while. I think the other thing they've needed for a while, they're now seeing uh, after an unbeaten start to the season and having seen him play exceptionally well in all three of those games, Alphonse Ariola in goal yes. has been fucking magic. And I'm sorry, but this is absolutely ludicrous example of how the turnover of the team should not have been delayed as much as it has been. Um, if if Kudus is going to be played as a central option, then number nine is where they need it. But if they're going to play him as either a, you know, a, a, literally a 10 right off the centre forward, then I think you've got more scope to get away with someone who doesn't score as much as long as they, you know, in a similar way to, we were talking about Solanke and that are really, really good at facilitating for other people coming from behind. I'm really interested to see how they use Mohamed Kudus. Really, really interested because he could play anywhere for them. I, I kind of have it in my head that they're going to go Bowen, Paqueta and Kudus right to left behind a striker, but they could do anything. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, last club then is Wolves. I know you're very, very low on Wolves, um, but I, I think the squad is decent. But Matthias Cunha leaving will will create one need. But take that, or not Matthias Cunha, Matthias Nunes leaving will create one need. Take that off the table. I think a centre-back is an absolute must. You, you sold, I think Nathan Collins was was very good, is, is a very good centre-back. I didn't agree with the decision to sell him. I like Kilman. Craig Dawson's a yard dog. He always has been. I'd be looking for a centre-back to bring in to partner with Kilman personally. Yeah, um, again, another team has obviously had a little bit of change there in terms of the regular alignment. I think bringing Aitnuri back in has been brilliant. I think he's mm. looked absolutely spectacular at the start of the season. Um, and Semedo has actually been playing really well on the other side as well, defensively very, very strong most of the time. So yeah, a centre-back could make that back four really, really solid and good in terms of ball progression as well because they they you know they are trying to play that way and they they look a bit better I think a little bit better organized a little bit better more confident approach playing from deep so get someone in as a center back who is not going to be any worse at build up play but also a bit better defensively in cohesion and longer term for them especially as well but I, I mean we've been over this before I still think they need at least two in midfield if if Nunez goes yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, they are light. They are light. Uh, that is us through all 20 teams. Uh, just on the topic of Chelsea, <clears throat> my best friend, Fabrication Romano, has said on his shite podcast, I think this will be the biggest surprise of the window in the final days. The Chelsea owners and directors were together today to decide the right player. They're discussing many players and are trying to be secret about it. They're going to try and do something ridiculous, aren't they? Like they're they've already stuck two fingers up at the governing bodies because they're just flagrantly going to smash 
the FFP rules and the profit and sustainability rules, they're going to get hammered and they're probably going to get a transfer ban. So maybe they're just going to look to do something. Maybe it maybe they do throw all the money at Victor Osman and see if they can get him from, from Napoli. Hopefully Napoli tell them where to go. But who else could it be? Um, to be honest, I've just had a quick look on Twitter looking for that, and all I saw was Trev Downey saying, Jason Tindall sucks custard creams. So I've got nothing else in my head apart from that now. I I, I think if we discovered that tweet an hour ago, we should have <laughs> just called the podcast then because nothing will top that. So on those wise words from Trev Downey, we will leave it there. Have you anything to plug before we go? Nothing better than custard creams. Trev Downey. Man knows how to turn a phrase. We'll see you later in the week. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.